warning. The following show is intended for mature audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Is your mic on? Turn it on, please. Thank you. Oh my god. I turned it on earlier. No, it wasn't on. I turned it on earlier. <laughs> so it must be when I it slid back uh, and I turned it off. Oh the, my god. The, this is what I'm dealing with here. This is what I'm dealing with. Oh man. Oh man. Oh god. This guy. <laughs> this guy. This guy. This see like what was it? What was it? That, There's your chance to use that. It. That's exactly oh, what man. that was there for. Okay. Dre, we good? Turn him down. <laughs> Whoops. My bad. My bad. I take the blame. I take the blame. Yeah, turn both of them down now. All right. So turn both decibels down. We should be good now. There you go. My All goodness. Right. Hey, I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I didn't. But uh, yeah. All right. Wow. Wow. So sorry. Sorry. So more coffee. I guess three cups isn't. This made my day. <laughs> yeah, John's misery, our misery, always makes LJ's day. We're happy here to comply. So yeah, kind of get that. getting back to it. Um, yeah, it it kind of sucks when you're doing such a massive project, right? It's a, a million yeah. dollar project well, and everything. I heard any of the stuff I was talking about, so I might need to start that over. Ah. Uh. So basically what happened is we have our downtown projects and the city and we, you got to go through the city permits to do all kinds of inspections and make sure you're building things right. So what happened was the city decided to update and create a new system. Well, they have all their old permits and everything going on in the city that needs to be ported over to this new system. Well, when they did that and all their brilliancness, they didn't do it right. And all of our permits didn't transfer. I mean, all the permits transferred, but none of our inspections transferred. So even though we had all the emails from the old system that said, hey, oh, you're good, you're good, you're good, you're good, we can proceed, we're ready to start insulating and closing up the walls, which hides all the plumbing, electrical, insulation, framing, everything. None of the stuff was there. And they're like, oh, you show no action. Like, uh, what do you mean? We have everything shown right here. Like, well, the system doesn't show that you have no action. And apparently there's no way for them to go back to the old system and verify that they're good to go. When they ported it, it just deleted everything else. I don't know. So when we go, like, well, we don't want to start closing up walls because the city has shown in their brilliance that even though you follow the process, they can change it at any moment and make you do things that really hamstring you and you really can't argue. Even though we're in the right, they come back. Yeah. So we go above to the development services, to, like senior inspectors, and we say, hey, here's the situation. Here's everything going on. Here's all this stuff. He, they come in and goes, okay, well, yeah, I see the problem, but we just want to do a final framing inspection. And he's like, we don't need a framing inspection. We had the everything engineered. We had the engineer stamp, everything signed off by them. Yeah, we get that, but we still want to do a framing inspection. So luckily we didn't start closing up the walls three days. And this is a three-day process to get this figured out, which three days, no big deal, except when you're running at $300 a day, just an interest cost, right. 900 bucks that we just lost by not getting these things on the market. So now they cost us money. We have no recourse against them, even though we're in the right this cost us $900 and now they want a framing inspection, which we passed no problem, but we lost three days of being able to insulate sheetrock and start closing up the walls. Oh, and and so. that's, that's the issue that we're always talking about. And that's the stuff that it, sometimes it's difficult for contractors to understand 
is that when you are managing these projects and when you are building and everything, time is money, right? And and that is something that with building and then the more that we get into building, those are the factors that we try to anticipate is time wasted with inspections, with permits, with all this, because it it's not, oh, you wasted a day. No, it's typically you wasted a week, maybe mm-hmm. two, because now you got to wait for a reinspection or you got to wait for this nonsense or that nonsense. And you add that over the course of, you know, a massive project and you're delayed a month, well, a month what, and a half. That's, that's money. So we were, were looking at some new builds, uh, another new build project. <clears throat> and it's outside of the city limits. And we're we're talking, out. We're we're done. We're out in the county. Uh, out not even not even Bear County anymore. We went out to Medina. Yeah. And uh, talking with like developers and things like that, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we don't mess with the city because it'll cost you anywhere from three to four weeks longer to finish a project because you have the city oversight and the city inspections and their processes and uh, procedures and how they screw with everything." Yeah. So it's like you're talking like substantial costs to deal with the city and they wonder like oh you developers are so greedy you're trying to make all the money housing so expensive like it's not us we're just trying to build a house and put it on the market but all of that cost gets passed down further and further and further and then the other stuff we're talking about why we're backing out of one project is because um the city says the sewer laterals are supposed to be there it's basically you have your main sewer system and then you have laterals that come out that you connect to into their system so it shows that they're there but there's no way to verify that they're actually there without spending thousands of dollars to dig down into the street to make sure they're there where they're supposed to be at your property line. Because if they're not there and you gamble and say, you know what, let's just uh, go. The city says they're going to be there and we're not going to verify. We trust that they're there. If you start your development project and find out that those sewer letters aren't there and you actually have to cut into their street to dig down to connect your sewer system, it was going to be over a hundred thousand, anywhere from 80 to a hundred thousand dollars to do that because when you cut yep. into those streets, they make you relay the asphalt a hundred feet each direction of your city cut. You can't just make a patch that's five feet wide. No, you need to do two hundred feet. Uh, of only only the city can make a patch. We are not allowed yeah, to make not, a patch. Developers aren't allowed to do that, and we got to build their roads, their sidewalks, and everything exactly. for them. And just to re-asphalt that two hundred feet of that street was going to be fifty thousand yep. dollars. So this is like. You want me to provide housing, but then you hamstring me with all these fees that, oh, hey, we have no way to really verify that the people we paid to do the job actually did their job. So now you got to take on the risk and hope that it's there. And if it's not there, you got to redo our entire street for us, 200 feet of it. It's like you've got to be kidding. Whenever people are saying, you know, oh, it's these bad developers, these mean, like, please take a minute to understand the risk that goes into developing you know and when you talk about affordable housing the only people that can bring you affordable housing is developers the government's not going to bring you affordable housing the government if anything is going to make it more expensive for to own housing because of all the regulations now we are not saying at any moment that there shouldn't be regulations right we're not saying that there shouldn't be inspections what we're saying is why don't you get with actual developers and figure out a way that we can actually move faster? Why don't you put your requirements, what it is that we need to abide by, in a written format that can be understood, not vaguely understood by whichever inspector goes to inspect, understood so we can follow it so it prohibits, it it, it stops all these delays. Because one thing that you and I always say is that, look, 
we are following the code. We want to, we're not trying to cut corners. It's just that you cannot have three inspectors come to the same project and all three have a different opinion on what that inspection was. And so it's have, like, and then have so much power to where like, it just stops your job. Yeah. Or it's like, I am now stuck because you have three different people tell me three different things between there. And then that's just the inspectors. Then you got to add in the senior inspector to tell you something different. And then the front clerk that you go to, to file for the permits telling you something different. And that's where it's like, it just, it just drastically slows down the job. I mean, that's what we get with the, uh, when all non builders try to govern builders or when you have politicians trying to legislate businesses without ever running a business. Or where we hear a lot of economists and people that are like, you have people that are just PhDs. They work in theory. They have no real world experience except from reading books yeah. that are creating government policies and financial decisions. Well, I mean, look, even look at the government now, um, <laughs> you know, and no offense, obviously, I, I did put that warning at the beginning of the episode. So if you didn't watch it, rewind, watch the warning. Um, but these politicians are old as shit. Like we have, I mean, we have a president that's like closer to dying than he is to anything else. And and not to be a jerk about it. It's just that how are these people that are career long politicians, old as hell, going to understand what the rest of the country is going through? Right. They have advisors. Okay. You know, it's just like we need we they need to really like work with more people and not just the people that are funding their campaigns. You need to work with real developers, people that are actually going through this shit so we can actually figure out, hey, what can we do? So the properties are being built, are being built to the right specs. So they're safe. They're good. They're good for everybody. But at the same time, you guys are not making us want to you know go somewhere else because you're making it so hard to build so hard to invest so hard to do all this because what you end up doing is you end up pushing the investors out you end up pushing these developers out and when that happens guess what your city goes to crap like yeah. i mean that well then it's also you i saw something by housing where it's not in here it's just a quick little article i read about uh if they change the long-term capital gains tax rates yeah. it's like you're gonna disincentivize a lot of real estate developers and real estate investors to leave the market or they don't want to put their money there because now you're saying like, Hey, I hold an asset for 30 years and then I go to sell it. And now you're saying it's a 40% tax rate on those gains is like, then they're just going to take their money and put it somewhere else. So, so do you, do you want to talk about that article? The Janet Yellen? Uh, yeah, we can yeah, talk about that. Go ahead. <clears throat> Sometimes we're getting into taxes and uh, Janet Yellen is for the U.S. You guys that don't know, or in John's term, yous that don't know. Um, she used to be the uh, chairman of the Fed before Jerome Powell was. And now Jerome Powell took over. She is now the first woman sworn into the Treasury, uh, taking the place of Steve Mnuchin. So she is somebody that is in favor of higher tax rates. The title of the article was the U.S. can afford a higher corporate tax rate if it coordinates globally. And in the quote, this is something that was just interesting to me that just like, we look forward to actively working with other countries through the organization of economic cooperation and development. Negotiations on taxes on multinational corporations to try and stop what has been a destructive, quote unquote, destructive, Global rates to the bottom on corporate taxation. 
What's your opinion on that aspect? I mean, you had a when I read that little spiel to you yesterday, you you kind of had a shocked look on your face. Well, I mean, it's kind of what we were talking about yesterday. Is that? Um, sorry, the, your camera had glitched for a minute. Um, bring that up again. What was the question? <laughs> sorry. The, your opinion when we read this, the dis negotiations on the taxation on multinational corporations to try and stop what has been a destructive global race to the bottom on corporate taxation. Right. So <laughs> I was like, that's called competition. It's not a destructive, you know, uh, race to the bottom. It's you give incentives, companies take those incentives, build uh, factories, businesses, corporations, whatever it is there, employ people, those some people pay, pay, make money, they consume, they spend, they buy more houses. That's how capitalism works. You understand? Like, if you don't, you know, I said this last time, if you don't treat money well, it doesn't, it, it doesn't, it just leaves, right? If you don't treat money with respect, it just leaves. And what they're trying to say now that it's like, hey, look, let, and this is closer, and this is not in the conspiracy world or anything like that. It's just what is. They seem to keep trying to get closer to a one world kind of government, right? Let's all kind of have um, the same rules, the, the same thing, kind of same. right? Yeah, so have all that. But my issue is, and this is going to rub a lot of people the wrong way, and I, 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 yeah, I just don't care. Um, this is getting closer to what socialism is, right? And I, and many people, especially in the U.S., preach and want socialism without ever understanding what socialism is, right? Because they they talk about it because of these theories and books they've read about socialism. But when you've lived in a country where there is socialism and you see how that country lives, I don't think Americans want that. Because when you see that, you know, as I'm an immigrant, I came to this country when I was six years old. I grew up as an immigrant, you know, and as a kid, the whole time, even my family, whenever we sat down, whenever we had meetings and, and family gatherings, the biggest thing we always spoke about was the American dream. Right. The American dream is that if you bust your ass, you work hard enough, you can have whatever the hell you want. Right. You can. Yeah. The. the Sky's the limit. Socialism takes that away. Socialism takes it where now, if you work hard, doesn't really matter. You understand? If you want to achieve more, you really can't. Because they put caps on people that if you're achieving more than this, you're going to get taxed more, more, and more. Because they got to take care of the ones that don't want to push as hard. That don't want to do all that. So when you start doing that and you start disincentivizing the people that are creating and all this, you start creating a world of more complacency of people that just don't push as hard because what's the point? Right. What's the point of me doing more if I'm essentially going to get punished for doing so? So when you're looking at all that, to me, it's it, it bothers me because as an entrepreneur, I want the incentives. Right. So what's going to do is that if another country is saying no to the U.S., we're not going to do this. Guess where businesses, investors, everybody's going to go to. They're going to go to those countries. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they continue on with the article. 
and she quotes he talking about the the Biden administration wants to reverse the law because this is where the hypocrisy of the law really kind of or this article got me and saying like he wants to reverse the law's incentives to offshore operations and profits but he has been very clear that he does not does not support a complete repeal of the 2017 tax law the very next article the section of the article goes a principal goal of trump's tax cuts and jobs act was to spur u.s companies to bring foreign profits to the u.s and away from low tax jurisdictions Whereas, like they literally said hey we want to stop offshore operations and profits even though the whole point of the law is was to bring back all those offshore and profits so they're just trying to twist the words we're saying it was a good idea that he had but it wasn't a good idea because they had it we need to have that law back and they go, she goes on to saying the OECD has for years sought a solution to the downward spiral. In late 2019, the body proposed a global minimum tax that would apply to companies with incomes from cross-border activities that pay taxes below a certain level. To me, where it's just like you're trying to set a global standard, but not everybody's going to play like that. You see how the Chinese have been playing. Like they want to be top dogs. They want to be number ones. We have some articles in here uh, of some of the stuff that they're doing. And that's one of just the crazy things about this, where it's like you're seeing this destructive global race at the bottom. It's like, or you need to come up with better systems and let the actually the free economy and capitalism do what it does best and stop yeah. trying to suck all that money up and letting it waste and government blow. We've talked about that several times, especially in the real estate space. If government tries to get into housing, they wind up spending more money than if free markets went ahead and did it and wound up having to subsidize that onto the rest of the taxpayers to create affordable housing because yeah. it, they so overregulate some of these industries and some of these aspects of it that it's impossible for us to as a builder to build a house that is affordable to your average person making fifty thousand dollars a year yeah and i mean i i think also we go back to what i said at the beginning you cannot have politicians that know nothing about this know nothing you know i don't know Sometimes, like, I don't want to come off like a Monday Monday morning quarterback, right? Saying, oh, you should have done this. And I don't think these people are stupid by any means, right? They're, they're very, they're people that have been studying and all this. But then one thing that we talked about is academia, right? What you learn in colleges a lot of times versus what happens in the real world. There's a kind of a big gap missing there. You understand? That's why when we kind of laugh at when people say, you know, I'm going to go to school for entrepreneurship, it's like, okay, you know, what what the hell does that even look like, you know? So you, you're, you're having all these incentives and everything, and I think it's going to end up, it ends up hurting everything. It ends up hurting businesses. It ends up hurting innovation. It ends up hurting the job market because now, you, and it, what it ends up doing, it's going to end up, causing more, I guess, inflation, price increases, because now if companies don't have even the freedom to say, hey, let me move over here so we can keep the cost of iPads, iPhones down, and all of this by going and developing in a country that's given us better incentives, right? That's given us better credits, and now it's the same all across the board, iPhones are gonna cost more. Because now, well, there aren't any incentives. We got to pay more to build this. We got to pay more to, you know, uh, supply uh, supply these services and all these things. We can't outsource, right? Maybe to the Philippines or anything else for places that maybe you're getting cheaper labor. Because in those countries, it's not cheap labor. They're getting paid very well, right? So it's like now you're taking that competitiveness away that keeps prices low. So if you take all that competitiveness away, you take all that prices are going to just go up because 
how do you fend for that? And what that ends up doing, in my opinion, is you end up killing the small businesses and medium businesses that cannot afford to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. So what ends up happening is you have these massive companies that we have right now, your Apples, your Teslas, Google, just dominate the market because who the hell can compete? At that point, who can compete? Only they, because they have the economies of scale. And some new companies coming out, they don't have economies of scale, therefore they can't really compete with them. Yeah, or I mean, just like the Walmart model, when they would come into new markets, like how they created such dominance is they would move into a new market, (laughs) subsidize, they'd run it at a loss until all the competition of those small little towns that they were moving it around went out of business, and then they'd raise prices back up because they were the only ones there. As that's why Walmart got such big criticism. Um, I think it was in like the 90s and 2000s and stuff like that of how they were doing is they were destroying small America. So it's like you had all these mom and pop shops that helped support these small towns. Walmart move in, run at a loss, drive out all those mom, small mom and pop shops and then raise prices back up. And then they would subsidize those markets as they got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and turned into what they are now. So that is something that is worrisome, um, especially when everyone's got these great ideas of like, oh, we're going to subsidize everything. It's like subsidizing by the government is just taxing somewhere else. And where do they think taxes are coming from? Tax the rich, tax the rich. It's not who gets taxed. It's your middle income people. That's why the middle class has been so decimated in this country over the last several decades. Oh, 100 percent. And I mean, you you use that logic right tax the rich and we talked about it before it's like first of all the rich are not rich because they're idiots and then when you use their formula of taxing the rich you're essentially not you're not taxing the rich who you're taxing is the high income earners right your doctors lawyers people that have actually busted their ass and spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on education and years or decades to get to that level now you're saying hey all that hard work screw you now you got to pay more you understand? So those are the people that you're hurting. And, and to me, it's like, what incentive are you giving people to want to strive for more when as soon as they get there, they lose their money, right? They lose the, the, the rewards of getting there. Just yeah, just make more money. Yeah. And then you pay more. I mean, it ends up, I think it'll end up getting to a point where it's like, at what point do you have diminishing returns? Yeah. You know, what point is it? And, and that's where I think a lot of people, like what I saw when I lived in Spain for so many years that, I saw people that got to a point where they're like, it doesn't benefit to make more than this because you're going to lose it. So it keeps people at a lower level, more complacent because it's like, what's the purpose? Well, that was the thing is it's like, uh, um, we've had high tax rates of like 70, 80, 90% here. And they realized that people weren't producing when I think, I don't remember who it was, some big movie producer. He only released like two movies a year. He's like, because by the time I released that third movie is like 90% of my revenue or profit went to the government. So he's like, I just wait and I don't produce. So they're like, well, we don't want that to happen. So let's lower rates, lower rates, lower rates, lower rates. Yeah. And then they realize like, well, now we're actually getting producing. And now they're saying like, oh, wait, rates have gone too low. We need to raise them back up. But it's like, how about you just run the government a little more efficiently and not have so much massive bloat uh, of the government and wastefulness and let some of the free market handle that and actually be more productive. Well, we had a question by Capital Asset Pricing Model. Um, if we coordinate with other countries, is a euphemism euphemism for trying to force other countries to raise their corporate tax rates a continuation of the failed fiat currency experiment? And that's that's kind of where it is, is that 
you know, the, the U.S., right, with all their dominance and everything is pretty much saying, hey, uh, we are kind of hurting, so you should do this to help us out. Because those other countries that have their tax rates low and everything, they don't need to raise them. They're doing fine. Yeah, you understand? They they're doing it because there. they want more businesses coming here. So they're like, wait, so you want us now to, you know, raise our rates just so it makes you look better? Like, where's the benefit? And yeah. now what I see, I was actually recently watching an interview from um, the Senate committee grilling Facebook, Apple, no, Facebook, uh, Google, and, ah, oh, shoot, what's the other guy? Uh, Amazon, the other guy. Uh, you know, that yeah, other little guy. The other bald uh, guy. What, what's the other bald guy's name? Yeah, I don't, we don't really keep track of each other. Um, but they were grilling them. Talking about, okay, so you, with your dominance, this was more towards Facebook. Because of your dominance, you go to other companies and you say, hey, either we're going to copy you or we're going to buy you, right? So they're like, that's a bully strategy. That's a bully strategy. That's not what the U.S. stands for. That's not what we represent. You're, you're not allowing competitiveness. You're not allowing all this. Yet the U.S. turns around and does the same thing with other countries. And I'm like... Is this that typical do what I say, not what I do thing? Because uh -oh. you, you're, you know, where you're saying in one area it's bad, you're saying it's good in another, but it's the same exact shit. You're killing competitiveness. You're killing the market doing what it does. You're trying to control and manipulate the market. So it's like into your advantage. Well, it's, all, it's all a power struggle. Like everybody wants power. Every like the government wants power. The people want power. Like, and that's where I say like this global, we need to get a global even playing field it's like there's still going to be somebody trying to gain power because i mean you oh, look at sure. the rise of china in the past couple decades and what they've accomplished and they're knocking on our doorstep of taking over the u.s as the number one um economic power in the world and they it's, probably will oh they well, i mean i look at it this way it's like of course they will they have 1.3 billion people we have 300 million they have a billion more people here so that is people that's consumers that's and like probably still a good sizable portion of them still live out in like the the rice paddies actually just in very poor 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 conditions where if they can get them into the economy or into the economy and buying it, and spending, is, is rice paddies politically correct i have no idea that, that sounded kind of racist well they okay they harvest, <laughs> they harvest rice i don't know yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're so racist um but, but that's what i'm saying like yeah. they're going to overtake it eventually uh, but the worry, worry is, is just when they do it on a technological level and not just a consumerism level like the United States has been doing. Yeah. So well, I wanted to move on to GameStop. So we have this. Uh, well, I actually just need to check in Robinhood. I just made a million dollars this morning. I'm quitting and I'm going to move to a different company. Well, remember that million dollar doesn't go that far anymore. So <laughs> you're probably going to be back. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not selling. But. Uh, so you have GameStop jump more than 130%. Um, this was nuts. This was something that it happened from like last week to this week. It's been crushing. It's pretty much everywhere on the media, wherever the hell you look. It is literally everywhere. And um, and here's what happened. So I'm going to try to break this down a little bit. So GameStop on January 7th, of this year was trading at $17, all right? On the 28th, it went as high as $444. 
17 to 444. It is now trading at, what was it? 354 right now. As it's been halted though. But yeah, they have to. So what the hell happened? What did a company that was trading at $17 on January, how did it get to 444? GameStop, for many of you that may not know, is a video game company. It's a company that sells video games, consoles, and stuff like that. And right now, they're valued damn near close to what Best Buy is valued, which is a gigantic store, more retail space, more consumer goods, everything. GameStop was already starting to hurt because they sell... um, They sell physical video games, right? And then you have all these consoles now that are coming out with digital, where you can download games. So you don't have to even go to the store. And a lot of of companies that you have now, like PlayStation, they're coming out with promotions and stuff where you can download the digital games even at a cheaper price. Well, that's what I was saying. Like, also the... Before you continue on, of like how bad GameStop is. Like a year ago, that I looked this morning, it was only trading at $4. Yeah. To where uh, I was hearing their last company, looking at their last company report of they're running at a massive loss, not just loss in share price, but their free cash flow is operating at a loss to where several years ago, like they were making like 400 million a year in free cash flow. Now they're running at a negative like $2 million a year in negative cash flow. That means that company is going down and down and down and down, which is where the problem arises. And you can continue so, on what that what they do when they see a company that. So what ended up happening is that you have this company that people are seeing like it's just crashing more and more, even though there was a little bit of optimism when PlayStation 5 came out and the new Xbox that they're saying they are going to leave for discs, a slot for discs. So people are like, oh, they're leaving a slot for this. This is going to be good for GameStop because that means, you know, if they took out the, the slot for discs. GameStop is out of business. At that point, it's like, oh, you can't you can't sell games anymore. So. You know, there was some a, l- a little bit level of optimism, but it turned out that some people did some research and they found out that the majority of the hedge funds were shorting the hell out of the stock. It was actually about over 90% they were saying were actually shorting the stock. 102% of and outstanding shares. What ends up happening, what does that mean, shorting the stock, is they are, they're, these big hedge funds, institutions, they are selling a stock that they don't currently own at a price. So they're selling this stock at, let's call it $17. And their hope is that from $17, it goes down to $4. And then they'll buy it back at $4, making that difference from the four to the 17, right? So that's a that's pretty much what a short sell is. So from this article, GameStop nearly vertical surge over the past week has come as retail traders, many of whom have documented their moves on social media, on social media site via Reddit, uh, Wall Street Bets. So that's the name of the the like the community. It's called Wall Street Bets, and we're empowered by low cost, easy to use trading platforms like Robinhood. And what they ended up doing is they be they were using these platforms, all this, and they got together. They're like, hey, you know what? The, these hedge funds are shorting the hell out of the stock. If we all get together and we start buying it, we can create what is called a short squeeze. Now, a short squeeze is these people that bought pretty much, um, that sold stock at 17, hoping for it to go down to 40, uh, going down to $4. Now, all of a sudden, that stock goes from 17 
to $400, it creates a short squeeze. A short squeeze is now those people have to buy back those shares that they sold that weren't theirs. They have to buy them back at a higher price. So they are losing a ton of money. I mean, we're talking about billions of dollars they're losing. I was reading this morning, short sellers are sitting on estimated losses of $70 billion from their short positions. Now, here's a bigger issue with all this. So you have these short sellers that they try to short the stock and these hedge funds and everything, and they shorted more shares than they're actually available. So they were selling shares short more than they were <laughs> available well, like, to basically, sell. Basically, so, another way of saying that's like a company owns 50% and they sold 50% of their company to the open market. So the other 50% of shares that are available, outstanding, they call it, is owned by retail investors, hedge funds, whoever it may be. But somehow, which this is where I don't even understand, that 50% of the company got oversorted, oversold to where 100, 102% of outstanding shares were shorted. So if say there's 100,000 shares, 50% went to the retail investors. Well, somehow 52%, 51% of that company was shorted. So it created this massive, like thought like the tender box and it's by hedge funds. So yeah. it's by your big rich hedge funds where I, I don't feel bad for these people at all. It's like they created their own demise by trying to short this thing so much that it didn't take much, but a few retail investors to jump in there, bid that price up enough to where they started having to start buying shares to cover their shorts. And then it was well, so oversubscribed that it just took here, Here's what happens. Like, why did it go up so high then? The issue is that for you to when you're creating a short squeeze and you're trying to buy back there actually needs to be stock for you to buy back so these people that are that sold at a much lower price are now rushing to buy back and nobody was selling so the price keeps going higher and higher and higher and they're trying to buy so what they end up doing is kind of bidding the price up themselves just so they can buy some stock back and kind of cut their losses as much as possible and what that ended up doing was forcing a lot of the um, the trading companies and everything to halt trading on GameStop and then other companies like Bed Bath & Beyond and AMC were kind of hitting the same thing um, and they they had to stop trading because it was getting to a point where these hedge funds were hemorrhaging money because they weren't even able to sell their short positions because you have this group on Reddit that was pretty much saying nobody sell. So um, there was like classic David versus Goliath story where it's eh. a true wall a main street versus wall street because it was retail traders that started this whole problem not yeah. problem but it's like saw this opportunity to started taking advantage of it and is creating this giant mess of uh going after short sellers so they were saying uh, the idea of the group message board traders the idea that a group message board traders could take down a multi-billion dollar hedge fund led to an instant prolification of cheering for the little guy sticking it to the man but of course, there's a problems with this logic. Uh, Wall Street Bets poster that initially identified GameStop uh, and drove interest in the stock invested $50,000 and his cash in stock and call options now are worth over $50 million. So this is in the course of like a week. He turned 50 grand or they, uh, we don't know uh, what type of, how big the group is, uh, 50,000 into 50 million in about a week. Now, 
this is insane, right? The fact that they can, well, the first of all, the fact that hedge funds can short more stock than is available is insane. Uh, to me, it's like, I'm sorry, how is this? There isn't any checks and balances on that area. Yeah. And then the fact that they're getting screwed over royally is kind of, you know, funny. But, you know, one of the things that you and I spoke about is while, yes, I understand stick it to the man and all of this. It's, it does create problems, which people don't think about consequences, right? When you are hurting a hedge fund this bad, right? When you're hurting these businesses this bad that control that much money, that trickles, right? That, that has a domino effect. And that's the stuff that people are not thinking and realizing about is everybody's thinking about, oh, yeah, screw them all. We're going to make a killing. And, and okay, by all means. But my question is, what what does this mean to the rest of the economy? Like, how does hurting these hedge funds by $70 billion going to affect well, the rest? Also, like, what they're talking about here is, like, it is just, it's not like, how do you, how do you put it? It's like, I buy a stock for three bucks and i sell it to you for four dollars it's a win-win scenario i get three dollars now you have an asset that actually you hold something that produces cash flow and can eventually be sold when they're talking about doing these bets these these call options put options and stuff like that it is a casino it is i win you lose scenario no actual value was created it's like i took money from you and get uh, stole not stole but you made a bet you lost i get your money because right. now the only reason that guy went from fifty thousand to fifty million dollars is because he he took that money from a hedge fund and made the money in his side. So no real value to the economy was actually traded except, except taxable events when that thing is sold. So that creates problems in there. So it's just, it's literally betting and it's a casino aspect of it. There's no like win-win scenario of like buying stock. It's day trading uh, and it can get very dangerous. Um, and where they talk about is like, yes, this can spill over. This happened in the nineties with uh, long-term capital management that they made huge bets, had huge amounts of money and assets under management and something went wrong and it cratered by 90% in a few, just a short period of time. But then like hedge funds came in and bailed them all out. Well, the problem with this scenario is this is a lot of hedge funds and a lot of money they're involved in this to where they have to come up with this money and to cover these shorts somehow for some way. And that might force them to start selling other stocks and other things in the actual economy Correct. that can deliquify the economy and move it from places that have debt, have leverage, big financial institutions and pushing it down to other areas of the economy. Well, and that that's kind of how what happened in 2008, right? In 2008, you had all of this this massive crash everything and people are like i don't understand why why did this stock crash when it was still great because one thing that you got to understand is within investing when you have these stock uh these traders and everything that are speculating and gambling you know they call it you know educated uh strategic investing because they control the system but it's still speculating and guessing and this kind of proved it when you have all this happening and they start hemorrhaging money they got to actually sell the good stuff the stuff that's actually valuable so they can cover their losses right and that's what happened also in real estate you know when people were hemorrhaging in the stock market and they needed money they were selling off the real estate because it was the same that was worth is the only thing that was actually worth something real estate like prices dropped so far as banks right. had to cover like by law had to have so much cash on hand couldn't have these bad assets to where they just said you know whatever we got to do 
sell them. So yep. that's why prices all of a sudden fell. And that's what causes problems. Like I, it's capitalism at its finest uh, of what's going on, but you got to realize where the repercussions could actually come from this and the spillover could come from. So well, it's like it, capitalism works as long as it doesn't go too fast because it creates all kinds of other problems. That's what causes massive recessions of like 2008. That's what can cause hedge funds to go over overnight is they got too overexposed yeah. and it happened too fast. And now you have spillover and breaks things in. But the that, that's the healthy though. That's, that's perfectly healthy because yeah. what the free market does is it'll do something. It'll screw it up and then it corrects. Yep. Right. And recessions as much as they hurt, they're necessary because yep. recessions cleanse the market they clear out the garbage they clear out all these things and it's what we keep talking about when you know the government keeps uh i, I heard recently joe biden say that he was going to help out so pretty much the extension on evictions and moratoriums is um it's not just till september it's until whenever people are okay to move on and he's like you know right now it's till september but if people are still struggling we're going to keep extending it so you're pretty much and now with the stimulus wow. and given all these packages and all these incentives to other people you're essentially saying look you can screw up right make a really bad decision but we'll take care of you we got you we'll protect you right so accountability uh you know th those corrections that clear out the garbage that's no longer happening and if you ask me honestly the real problem with all this is that these young men are not having enough sex so <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to cover this guy. He's a professor. Oh boy, here we he, go. He's a professor at uh, NYU uh, STEM. NYU STEM, I think. And he tweets so, this out. That wasn't John just coming up with that. This was yeah. actually an article that we read. That it was his <laughs> it was professor's theory. So, so I, I'm a I'm a read a I'm a read exactly what he tweeted. So he says, "What happened here with GameStop? It's about sex." Specifically, young men not having enough sex. Sex leads to relationships, obligation, and guardrails. Don't get in fights. We need you. Don't gamble your paycheck. We need to save for a house. Right? So I guess that's the, the common sense from a woman's perspective of trying to talk the horny man down. Um, <laughs> a, a bored, angry young man is the most dangerous person in the world. When countries have unemployment, young men who are single, the likelihood that country goes to war escalates. We have cut the share of wealth of young people in half in the last 30 years, 19% to 9%. Arm young men in a basement, not at work, not having sex, not forming connection, with an RH account, a Robinhood account, a phone and stimulus and stimulus, and you have the perfect storm of volatility as they wage war against established players while squeezing the dopa bag harder and harder. <laughs> oh I man. I saw that and I was like what is that? I was dying when I read that. Wow. I was dying. I'm like, this guy really had the balls to go ahead and tweet that. But, but you know, beyond that, I do think he has a point. I do think he has a point in the sense that, you know, the same reason we've had rioting and all of these, all of these things, you are keeping people cooped up for way too long. 
right? You've taken people's abilities to pretty much fend for themselves and do a lot of those things. And you've, on top of that, then you, you're letting them sit, you're making them frustrated, you're making them focus on shit that they probably shouldn't or never focused on, well, right? All the time on social media, that's how these things have caught, gotten to the points where they are. Like, this all started on a Reddit sub feed. And then it gained massive traction and got shared a bunch of time when people aren't producing, aren't sidetracked, and they're on their phones constantly <clears> watching <throat> this stuff. They're like, huh, well, I just see this guy made a bunch of money. Why can't I too? I just got a $600 check. It's easy. Boom. Link an account. Throw it in there. Option trading. Don't know what that is, but I guess I can do it. And of course, off off the races it goes. So, so, so you have you have these horny men out there that um, oh, they're not. Tommy just, Tommy just rolled in. He would have loved that little segment. He just missed. yeah, yeah. You missed the whole uh, GameStop segment, Tommy. But so you have these these guys that you know you're, you're giving all the stimulus. You're giving all these things. There's so many people like we talked about before that don't need the money. They don't need the stimulus, right? Because they're they're fine with whatever. Maybe they are living in their parents' basement. So they have no bills um so you have all of that going on and they get bored and there's a lot of them like that and right now social media has gotten so dangerous because you can put together a group like this and you can say let's go fuck with these people a little bit you know what i mean and then what ended up throwing more gasoline on the fire too on this is elon musk uh, ended up tweeting uh I can't. There it is. So, uh, the game appeared to be boosted in extending trading hours Tuesday after Elon Musk tweeted out the link to the Reddit board where much of the discussion has happened. He's the golden so, boy, man. He just does one. Not thing not just golden boy, crazy. but I think he's kind of having fun with the market right now because he realizes that he'll tweet something, and people will blindly go after it. Well, it's also like he was. A start like people were shorting Tesla hardcore, and he got in wars and waged wars against them. And now when so he he hates short sellers because they were going against him so hard and causing him so much stress. And he won that battle. You look where Tesla is today, and it's like he won that battle. So he's a very stark critic of people trying to short other companies. So my question with all this moving forward, we brought up before the hype of Bitcoin, right? How many people, in by all means. What I'm I'm not saying that Bitcoin is a good investment or a bad investment. Um, uh, we'll do the disclaimer again. We don't provide financial advice, medical advice, investment advice. Uh, veterinarian. We're not veterinarians. Not CPAs. You know, I'm not your dietitian. So do some research. Don't be an idiot. But that being said, you have all these people that are following the hype. And that's why they jump into all this and they have all the stimulus, money. they have all this. So it's creating a very, in my opinion, a very volatile, very scary type of market to be in. I was talking to Dre uh, yesterday, the day before, and he was telling me he edits video for a guy that does stocks and how this guy looks at fundamentals. And I was like, that makes, of course, that makes perfect sense. That's how you should look at stocks. But I don't think fundamentals matter anymore because Right now, with all of the shit that's going on, the people that are getting into the stock market are not your savvy investors anymore. They're your TikTokers, your your Reddit trolls, you know, your all these people. Year, or 19 year old that just turned or just became allowed to vote and was eligible for stimulus money. Yeah. So getting it, it's like, oh, 1200 bucks. You have all these people. Months. Right. You have all these people now that all of a sudden are jumping into all this. They're starting to realize that if they get enough people behind them with enough money, we can move shit. We can do all this. It's like. 
what's going to happen moving forward? Are they going to start putting uh, more limits on trading? Are they going to make it where, you know, you need to have, I don't know, like you can only trade a certain amount if you're new to the stock market. And then as your knowledge or experience increases, then you can add more. When I, I used to trade stocks like eight, nine years ago, and there were some limits but it was more mo money limits. It's like, if you put less than this much, then you're not really allowed to gamble or like do short calls, right? Yeah. Uh, but there weren't really like time limits. There wasn't like, you needed to be trading successfully for X number of years to show that you're a prudent investor. It, they didn't have that. I was still doing call options, put options. Um, and, you know, and, and at some other point, we'll explain what options are. Not that it really matters and for real estate. But when you have all this going on, like, what are the changes this is going to bring about? When now are hedge funds realizing more and more that, you know what, if we have our own little Reddit forum, we can hype up whatever the hell we want then. Right. We can just make it seem like we're one of the people and hype shit up. Not Especially that they like the haven't dark, already, dark, but because I mean, that is illegal. It's like the pump and dump where somebody has yeah. controlling interests, like a hedge fund or regulated by the SEC goes in and says, buy this stock, buy this stock, buy this stock. And it gets really high, gets really high. Then they sell everything, make a huge profit. It's like that you can't do. But with the Internet and social media and things like that, like you have to be able to connect back to that person. So it's a very scary time, especially when the, you have a lot of government regulators wanting to regulate these things and taking notice of these things. And it's like, yeah. And what do you think another freaking $1.9 trillion yeah. into the economy is going to do? It's going to trickle down and already exacerbate a problem. It's like, you need to focus on getting this stuff open back up. So people aren't sitting at home. They are going out, going out to work and not just being like, ah, like going back to your point of I'm disincentivized to work because somebody else is paying me to stay home. And they just sit at home and like, well, I got nothing to do. I got to find something to do. And that's how they get into these deep rabbit holes of some of these Reddit feeds and things like this do take off. But I'd like to continue on a little yeah. bit about some other topics. Uh, you mentioned about the people not paying their mortgages. Um, and an article came out from the Wall Street Journal, and it was COVID-19's financial toll mounts as homeowners keep postponing mortgage payments. Mm -hmm. so for roughly the past two months, the group of homeowners has flatlined at about a 5.5, the portion of homeowners postponing mortgage payments has been falling steadily from June to November. For roughly the past two months, that group of homeowners has flatlined at about 5.5%. That roughly 5.5% in forbearance reps about, represents about 2.7 million homeowners. It didn't come down from its peak of 8.55 in June, which represented 4.3 million homeowners. Other data indicates a slowing U.S. economy this winter and greater pressure on household finances. Employers cut jobs last month for the first time since this spring. The number of job openings has declined and... Claims for unemployment insurance remain elevated. Retail sales have fallen for three consecutive months. About 75% of U.S. mortgages are guaranteed by the U.S. government, meaning they, hey, 75% of all mortgages, they continue these foreclosures, moratoriums. 75% of mortgages are eligible for this stuff. And you have this economy that is starting to slow and starting to go down. That's something that is a, very worrisome to where the people exiting the forbearance programs are hardly starting to flatline as we go into this, this winter time to where it's a, it's a very scary time. And when you look at those, those statistics, it is like, yeah, there is still a huge problem in the economy. So mm -hmm. I think that's the approach bringing it back to like kind of the stimulus aspect. You look at those numbers, like, okay, does it need stimulus right or wrong? That is an area that is actually hurting. 
But it's one of the things like you need to make a target approach, not just dump money all over the entire economy with like the quote unquote helicopter effect and just trying to get everybody money because it's causing massive problems in other areas of the economy because what they're doing obviously isn't working the, the approach that they have taken in the past. I mean, what's your... Well, you know, one, one thing that uh, we had a discussion, so we're part of that mastermind with a friend of ours that uh, we read a book and everything and we kind of discuss it right and one of the things that i found interesting that he brought up was yes you have people in forbearances and all this and for right now it's good but when it comes time to getting out of the forbearance process <clears throat> and most likely what's going to end up happening is there's going to be some form of loan modification where all these payments all these missed payments everything is going to just be tacked onto the back of the loan and say okay let's uh let's just reset you know we're, we're just going to add this to the back of your loan and just keep going um which i honestly i think that it is a good idea to do something like that right because this crisis wasn't their fault you know, this wasn't that they just made a bad call or they just invested in GameStop. You know, this is that the economy went to shit. They made bad calls with shutting down the economy and it killed a lot of people's income. So putting it to the back of the loan, I think, makes perfect sense. Now, the issue is going to happen that what our friend brought up was. What if they still can't afford it? Right. Because they lost their jobs. Jobs aren't there. The jobs aren't there. Their income isn't there anymore. You still got to qualify for it, right? So what is going to happen to all of these people that are right now in forbearance or right now struggling to pay their mortgage and everything, and it comes time to get to that point where it's like, all right, now let's refinance these or let's uh, let's go ahead and let's just do a loan modification. But when you go do a loan modification, you realize, oh, you still can't afford this loan. You still can't afford your mortgage. You know what I mean? Because you're well. I mean, you look at it like you were a welder on pipelines connected to the energy sector, which is massively under attack with all or under attack by all these executive orders saying we're canceling all the stuff and all these people, eleven thousand people, ten thousand people, decimating industries. Like, what are you supposed to do? And I saw like a headline like, "Oh, don't worry, you, you we'll, we'll find you another job." you'll find me another job you'll create me another job it's like yeah. i liked what i did i was a welder on pipelines that's what i want to do that's what i like doing but now because you say i can't do it i'm screwed it's well, like you have people like that that are like laid off in our forbearance it's like my skills don't transfer to anything else yeah like i'm not a tech person i'm not a computer person not a technology person and you're telling me like well eh, collateral damage sorry for you kind of thing and and those are the things that you and i talk a lot about is you know, what is this all going to look like a year down the line, right? What are foreclosures going to look like a year down the line? Because now you have these people that are currently, right? They're in forbearance and all this, but then come time to maybe they end up deciding to, okay, let's stop extending this. We need to kind of get some normalcy back in the market. And these people can no longer afford their homes, right? So now those people might start dumping their homes in the market. And then you have the other question that I'm curious about is what about everybody that's refinancing, that's been refinancing like crazy, right? Come two, three, four years from now, if interest rates start going up again, they're going to look at real estate and be like, why am I going to sell when I'm like, you know, two, three years into this amazing low interest loan and I'm not going to get this kind of financing anywhere else. Like, what does that mean? Like when are, I feel like with that kind of logic, are we just going to have real estate 
be at a tight market for years to come? Well, I mean, you look at since we've been doing the market updates, since we've I've entered real estate here in San Antonio, they always say, oh, the balanced market is six months of inventory. I've yet to see in the six years I've been doing it here anywhere close to a balanced market. Yeah. Even in San Antonio, and that's the traditionally the slowest market of the four major metros in Texas. And now I just did the market report and it's what it was it going out this weekend? Yes, Sunday. Yeah. It's going out Sunday that we have less than two months of inventory across our entire metro, which is just absolutely insane. Some of these zip some of our biggest zip codes and are below a month of inventory. So we're like, what are you gonna do? Then they're gonna add fifteen thousand dollar home buyer first time home buyer tax credit, creating even a huger demand. Whereas like poor housing and like you need supply, you need supply. You can't create demand, 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 demand when there's already no supply to supply that demand. Like, I think it's going to be good to your point. Like it's going to be creating huge problems that um, are going to I mean, just get worse. And it's yeah. going to be a tight market forever to where you have some companies now to where we've talked about this. Like we're both com big components of, of, of renting gives you flexibility. It gives you the ability to move around. You don't have the burden of a house or mortgage that you have national developers of single family home rental mm -hmm. communities, um, developing homes of just straight building them for rent. Yep. So the headline was that a big California company called AHV Communities is moving its headquarters from California to San Antonio. So yay, great, another big company, because this company has $500 million in committed capital to develop these communities. And is moving here to San Antonio. So that's that's some news there that San Antonio is getting landing that big uh, company with that much capital. But what the company does is the company has eight communities and 1,500 rental units under development in all four major Texas metros, Seattle, Southern California, Denver, and Nashville. AHV has delivered 3,800 rental units lots available at a, a valued at approximately $1 billion. So the CEO goes on to say, you get all the benefits of homeownership without the drag of homeownership. You get all the benefits of apartments without being in an apartment. So it's a true win-win. <laughs> true win-win. I love so, when they use that. But they're building they know communities what that is. from the ground up for rentals with maintenance and management on site, as well as amenities such as pools and fitness centers. Monthly rents are competitive with luxury apartment units. And I didn't realize like their their first community was actually here in San Antonio, and it's out by UTSA, uh, kind of between 151 and um, I-10. Yeah. And what was even crazier is like I'm, I see how why that would work. It's just like it gets exactly you get a home ownership you pay the same prices of a luxury home uh, apartment but you have a home you yeah. have a yard you have space you have garage without being smashed in with uh, other people is that the capital didn't believe us the equity didn't believe us the debt and the equity just didn't think the debt and the equity lenders just didn't think it would work we were fortunate to find some investors along the way that believed in it and that's why we are here now and everyone that said we couldn't do it is now trying to put money into the space because i think it is just that like they kind of foresaw it's like you're going to have an inventory problem you're going to have a shortage problem people want flexibility in this new economy to be able to move around shift around to where you're remote working i'm gonna go live in texas for a while yeah. i'm gonna go live in tennessee for a while i'm gonna go live in california for a year i'm gonna go jump around to seattle start moving around and not being stuck in one geographical location because they're job is fluid i mean i think it's a yes great space. but then also it kind of 
piggybacking on that topic, um, you also have this. I, I just found this out last night that uh, working remotely from different states, you could face additional state taxes well, next you, year. You talked about that. At the very so, beginning. right. So now that's something that you got to be careful and you okay. have to it's tax time is coming around. If this is you, you need to sit down with a tax accountant and figure out what the hell that does this mean for you? Because they're trying to get pretty much their, you know, there are states whether you work from your living room or or an out of state uh relatives a dode, a dode, abode. Oh, abode. Sorry. Low dyslexic. Yeah, you could be on the hook for state taxes if you didn't update your withholdings. So now you're being taxed in, two, in both states. So you're being taxed in the state that you're making the money in and the state that you are currently living in. 47% of people who work remotely were unaware of each state has its own laws related to telecommuting. Um, so this is something that I just, I honestly wasn't aware of or didn't, not so much wasn't aware of like now that I hear, I'm like, oh, that's right. I had that issue when we went from uh, New York to Texas and there's just some revenue that was still being made in New York. Um, but it just didn't hit me. And I was like, now with all these people, let's say you're working for a California company, but you live somewhere sensible, right? So that somewhere that you can afford to live. Did you know that? you making that income from there and living somewhere else like now you're probably going to get hammered in taxes you know what i mean these are things that i think people didn't realize they were on the hook for for instance some states have reciprocity agreements with their neighbors to avoid taxing workers income twice so maryland pennsylvania virginia west virginia and dc have such agreements in place as do pennsylvania and jersey so, and then a group of seven states follow the convenience of the employer rule, which taxes telecommuters based on where their employer's office is located, according to the Tax Foundation. And those states are Arkansas, Connecticut, Delaware, Massachusetts, Nebraska, New York, and Pennsylvania. So, you really, I think you really need to pay attention. You really need to be informed. These are, this is not the time that you just, you feel like, Hey, I'm doing whatever I need to do to survive. You know, if that's what I need to do, that's what I need to do. I, I completely agree. But at the same time, you don't want to be surprised with this massive tax bill when you go Oops. do your taxes. That is not one of those happy coincidences that, you know, you, you want to get when you're filing your taxes. I mean, what do you, what do you think about all that? I mean, it doesn't surprise me because I'm sure that's more left-leaning states that are really hamstring for capital for their tax revenues disappearing or being like, oh, we got to raise revenues. Like, how can we read through the tax law, read through tax law? If we find out that, oh, your income was earned here, we can tax that. But then also like, and it's probably very common in places like New York where a lot of people live in New Jersey and go across to New York or mm -hmm. Washington, D.C., live in some of those states where you have a lot of state lines yep. very close together in very densely populated areas to where it's like, uh, it's cheaper for me to live over in somewhere else. Well, and then Tommy Ray had a great point where he says people will home base in Florida or Texas then uh, for no state income tax. So they'll home base in, t in states with no income tax and work in states where maybe the, their company is or where it makes more sense for them to work. So, I mean, it's, it's getting a little strategic moving forward. And then LJ earlier, I wanted to cover, he's put, uh, when we were talking about all the things with, uh, 
you know, people not having jobs and all this. He says, learn to code or install solar panels, right? And that's really the point. You got to think about ahead. Like, I think one of the industries that are probably going to be doing very well in the coming years if people just don't sell their homes are remodeling companies. Because when people are looking at, they have, you know, two years, three years, four years into this beautiful low interest loan and they see interest rates are going up and shit is just not making sense for them to sell, they're more likely to renovate their house. They're more likely to add some living square footage or do something like that where they're like, we're just going to stay put because this makes more sense. And you add to that the fact that uh, there's already a shortage of tradespeople because it's not seen as not glamorous and people just don't want to work hard. They grow up in places where it's like, oh, well, I just stayed at home and played video games all day. Why do I want to go out and swing hammers? Why do I actually want to do physical labor? Yeah. So whether it's the average age of like a construction worker is like in the mid to high 50s, like you're going to have a huge problem and those costs are going to go up because they do need to attract people back to those industries. Yeah. So so one thing I wanted to actually cover and get into now is uh, we do every Tuesday morning, um, we jump on an app called Clubhouse that, sorry, is just for iPhone users right now. But uh, this app is pretty much you jump on and you just start talking about whatever the hell you want to talk about. And it's it's an amazing amount of information and resources on that app. I actually did a video on the pros and cons of Clubhouse. So you can definitely go check it out. We're going to put all the descriptions and everything below uh, after the, the live. But. You know, we we jump on here and we talk real estate. We answer questions. We talk about trends that we're seeing. And and it's a a much more laid back conversation. So the discussions get pretty entertaining and uh, very interesting. We have some people that jump on from other states. And we had this gentleman jump on, uh, Justin, who I, I got to talk to him afterwards and everything. Very interesting guy, what he's doing. And he has a he asked a very good question. He says, you know, he lives in Utah. And invests in Ohio or Idaho. Ohio. Invest in Ohio. I think he either lives right. in Idaho or Utah or something. He lives in a very expensive yeah. place and he invests in Ohio. So, and then he asks, he's like, how do you, how can you determine what is the best place to invest in? Like, because he, his question was pretty much along the lines of, look, we have all these states that are, people are just fleeing, they're getting the hell out of there. And, you have these states that where people are moving, there's got to be opportunities there, right? There's got to be something that's coming up that's going to be a great opportunities in these states. And I was like, well, you're thinking about it the right way. I, I love the way that you're thinking. You're trying to try to see ahead of trends developing. If all these people are leaving, what does that mean, right? But what you got to also understand that what drives the market, especially for real estate, is policy, right? You, It's not just that there's an opportunity because there's cheaper housing, but you gotta look at the policy. Like what policies are these states implementing? We are also looking to invest outside of Texas. We're looking for other markets to invest in. And our biggest thing is that we're looking at more red states than blue states, because blue states, you gotta look at what they're doing and their policies are not business friendly. They're not landlord friendly. Their, Their policies are not landlord friendly. So when you have all of this, and you have all these places that are not very friendly to investors, they're not inve- uh, friendly to to the money, to landlords. It's not going to provide a great opportunity for you. 
as an investor. So as an investor, if you're starting to like look outside and you're starting to research other markets and you're starting to see, you gotta ask yourself like, what are the advantages of moving to this other market? What's the policy look like? And one of the things, one of the stats I've read recently was small to medium businesses make up 50% of the jobs and 45% of the GDP. And most of them have been crushed. And we've seen it even here in San Antonio. We've driven, we've driven by plazas and stuff where we used to go to some restaurants yeah, and they're no longer there. there, right? So you have, a when 50% of small to medium businesses make up the jobs in the country, you gotta look at those stats. You gotta look at that information as you're moving to other areas, as you're going there. It's like, well, what does the job market look like here? Who are the major employers? You understand? Because that the job market is going to dictate whether your investments are going to make sense or not. Cause you yeah. might get a hell of a cheap uh, rental, but if there's no jobs coming, there's no incentives for people to go work there. Your rental is just not going to go anywhere. It's not going to make sense. There's nothing worse for real estate and real estate prices than a declining population. Yeah. Or, or even stagnation, right? Like you, you have a, a market that's just stagnant. Like, uh, you know, it's just prices aren't moving. Houses aren't moving. Nothing is moving. I mean, I guess that's good for long-term investment because you can predict what your revenue is going to be. It's always going to be the same. Yeah. Um, but you, if you want to find those next opportunities, you got to look at first at what are their policies? What are the policies? What are the politicians? What are they doing? What are they trying to push for? And then you got to look at, all right, now with these policies, is that attracting more businesses? You know what I mean? Is that are they more uh, landlord friendly? And you got to pay attention to all those things because one of the things I, I heard somebody say is that, um, you know, it, it was more along the lines like it's okay once everything opens up, we're gonna be good and all of this. No, it's not okay because let's look again at the restaurants at the bars. They've been losing potential customers for the last. Eight years, eight, eight months, nine months, however long this almost has been, a year. almost a year now since this whole thing's been going. So people are not going to go out all of a sudden once everybody feels comfortable going out and buy nine months worth of drinks and food in one day. They're going to pick up where they left off. So these bars and restaurants, they're not starting from zero. They're starting from negative. Mm -hmm. And now they're trying to catch up. Already and super slim margins with already super slim margins. And it's going to take a minute to catch up because what's going to be the problem is that people are not going to go in spending all this crazy amount of money. People are not going to go out starting day one. It's going to be a slow movement to getting out of the house, getting out in the market, you know, going to restaurants, feeling more comfortable again. It's not you're not going to get a flood of people all of a sudden going out and trying to catch up on the last year of not going out. It's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, so when you have all of that, it keeps affecting the job markets. It keeps affecting these businesses. You know, now, like I said, Joe did, uh, Mr. Biden, President Biden, whatever you want to call him. Um, he did promise that you uh, promise or said that all these businesses and houses and people that are hurting, they're going to get help. What does that mean? Your guess is as good as mine. So that's kind of one of the things that we're looking at. If you're looking to move out, if you're looking to go into another state, other investments, like it's not enough that there's just opportunity there. You got to make sure that you are 
investing somewhere where the policies make sense and where all that makes sense. Because that is very true to where you got to see the trends and stuff. I mean, we've all talked about like cycles, like blue turns mm -hmm. red, red turns blue, because now we have an excess from California, people moving here, bringing policies and change. And I might just see you add in an article of what Austin City Council. Yeah, I was approved. just about to say. Did you did you actually read that? Like, tell me yes. about that. I didn't I haven't. So read it at all. So Austin City Council approves hotel for homeless using funds cut from police budget. That's insane. Um, yeah. <laughs> Jerry is in the other room just laughing. Uh, yeah, well, it's not it, funny, but it is. It's like, wow, really? So Austin City Council is purchasing at least one new hotel to house homeless people and using some $6.5 million that was slashed from the police budget to do so. If both hotels are purchased, uh, it would boost the total. Uh, they were looking at another hotel. Apparently, I forgot that part. So they're looking at another hotel as well. Are they but buying they're buying the hotel. Yeah, they're buying the hotel using that money. So now, since they created a problem, shutting all those hotels down, to taking value down to nothing, and big companies having to liquidate these hotels. Now they're like, oh, perfect time to step in and buy one. Wow. So. But that's not how you should look at it. Okay, they're they're worried about the homeless population. Um, I, I, I don't mean to sound cynical, but to me, it's like, eh, this is a huge opportunity there that, you know, but anyway, uh, if both of them are bought, this brings uh, a total of seven hotels that they bought throughout the city. It would cost $3.8 million annually to run just the two hotels that they're looking at buying $3.8 million annually to run these hotels. Who's going to pay for that money? I'm curious. Uh, the Austin City Council also agreed to pull $20 million from the police department's budget by canceling new classes of incoming police officers and reducing overtime for officers. Almost $80 million more will be rerouted from civilian policing functions to other civilian priorities under a different umbrella of the city. Wow. What say you, my man? My question is, where's Abbott coming in? Because he said <laughs> if they tried to do this stuff, he was going to freeze their property tax ability and ability to create income. And I'm shocked. It just like, to me, that just seems like you're a little bit doing a self-dealing dealing and taking advantage of situations where it's like you have these big conglomerates that own all these hotels, run these hotels, and now they're having to liquidate them because they're worthless and the city's like, ooh, perfect time to step in, and we'll just extend our agenda into the homing the, or housing the homeless, and now we're going to subsidize that and put it onto the taxpayers. Or it's like, this is nuts. Like, this is here in Texas. This is 90 miles up the road. Like, that's just insane that this is actually happening to where, like, I this, I'm shocked that this says Austin at the top and not, like, San Francisco or Seattle. Bay Area or Seattle or Portland or something like that. Cause like that is very worrisome, but that's where we talk about the cycles aspect where like these policies and these changes are coming and they are happening here to where you look through history. I'm sure things were starting to appear like this in California yeah. before the situation got to it is now it happened 20, 30 years ago. And now the changes are coming to where it's like, you need to start looking at other markets free. The big changes starting to get it ahead of it yeah so, who knows but that stuff like that just absolutely insane to where like i hope abbott does come in and do something because i just saw an article that i didn't put in here because it happened two minutes before that he just filed an executive order saying that uh all that the state agencies of texas are to try to go against all the biden administration changes to housing and energy sector 
Right. right now it's like he's coming out and saying single-handedly he's like you know what we're actually going to fight these uh these executive orders and these changes that they're trying to force down our throats because texas is an energy dependent not energy dependent but it is a big energy producer i think it's the largest in the nation uh for energy energy production yeah so i mean that just that's just crazy to me that, that that's actually what's happening and to cut that amount of money to where, like, do they not see what's going on in some of these states on the West Coast that have cut their budgets? Yeah. They have cut their budgets. Well, that's a, that's the like, thing is, like, you, no- you're increasing population, you're increasing all this, and then you're cutting policing, you're cutting all of this. The homeless rate in Austin is insane. Um, <laughs> uh, what's his name? Uh, Tommy, he puts on here, well, the good news is homeless... Uh, does not uh, the homeless does not need inner city parking solving the traffic issue one shelter at a time or um, where are they going to keep all the carts still need to park need to park somewhere yeah so i mean you know you we kind of laugh about it a little bit but the implications are big right because it also starts setting a precedence because we do see even here in san antonio that the politicians that we have are you know not the sharpest tools in the shed. So they kind of follow trend. So if that's what they're doing in Austin, and you've said it plenty of times, how we have a growing issue of uh, homeless people here in our downtown area, are we going to be doing the same thing as well? And then at the end of the day, it's like the city is buying it. So that means that we are buying it, not the city, right? It's our taxes that's funding all that. So it's like, you know, I I was going to say, who the hell allowed them to do that but it's like well it's the dumbass people that keep voting for them yep. right well, that's what i say like you look at the voter rates of like a, everyone just wants to vote for the big elections like your local voting like that's where really you have ability to impact what goes on in your everyday life is voting for your city council in voting for your mayor and the people that govern your city that you live in because stuff like that happens in just a few I mean, one election can change everything and these policies can get through at an extremely fast pace. But like mm, those yeah. are things that really need to pay attention to and what they're what they're voting for. Yeah. So, I mean, going back to some uh, local news, uh, we have also in San Antonio, we have a 600 acre Southside development to kick off after COVID related pause. So we have this massive development downtown in the Southside. It's a... Uh, who was it? Uh, da, da, da. That, yeah. So the president of New Braunfels-based South Star Communities received approval from the San Antonio City Council in November 19 uh, to acquire 600 acres off Interstate 410 in South San Samara. Sar Samara. Sar Samara. Street, uh, street for $30 million and created development. So this development is actually being projected to start soon breaking ground into this and they are projecting to do a mix of single family homes apartments townhomes roughly 4000 total residential units as well as 300,000 square feet of retail and other commercial space and an expansive trail uh, system connecting the community to the AM San Antonio campus Development is slated to occur throughout the next decade with completion expected by 2032. So 
last week, I believe, we were talking about the San Pedro Creek and all the opportunity that that's bringing because we're seeing big developers snatching up, you know, uh, little ends and stuff like that. And there, there's more developers snatching up land and trying to build more apartments well, and everything around that. That's what I was just crazy to think about is like, there's 600 acres still within San Antonio's 410 or inside. Well, on the south side, yeah. yeah that, that was as nuts. Like six acres, 600 acres is not a small chunk of land. Yeah. So we're like, you look at San Antonio and you people, uh, people that are listening that are local, it's like, all the big developed stuff were all like the higher home prices and a lot of the new development and everything is on the north side of the city of downtown. The south side was something that was just kind of forgotten that they've been trying to spark things to go in there. But right now it's like, as like looking back at an opportunity, I haven't looked at the south side. Haven't We haven't ventured because we hadn't needed to. Yeah. And now looking at it, it's like, man, this south side stuff, you get a lot cheaper prices where we're going to actually starting to do projects over south of downtown because like, the pricing is just significantly cheaper for what you can buy. Yeah. So one of the projects we're looking at, it's like if this house for the renovation we were doing was located 10 miles north of where it's at, will probably be a $250,000 home. But right now it's stuck at 150,000 yeah. just because development and uh, incentives and everything hasn't gotten there to push prices up and to redo a lot of the housing stock to where you see these massive amounts of development going in there. I think there's a huge opportunity for those areas, just like the west side of downtown at like 78207 to where we have a property over there we're working with uh, trying to fire a buyer for, for a friend of ours. Like this thing's less than a mile from the UTSA main campus where they're committed putting $300 million into their downtown campus. Yep. And it's less than a mile from this area. And everyone thinks about like, oh, isn't that over there in the ghetto? My response to that is, yeah, Dignity was the ghetto 10 years ago, too. And now look at it. some of our highest priced housing yep. in San Antonio is in that zip code. We're, we're building new builds there that are starting at 400,000. And you got to be able to look beyond the right now situation. Like as an investor, and that's the point of even the show and everything is like you got to be able to look beyond today right now you got to look at what are the trends that are developing what's coming down the line and that is something that you know is the is that in the ghetto who cares is it always going to be in the ghetto is the question what is the growth that that place is coming and so if anybody wants a triplex in this hot area let us know we have one coming up um but we even talked uh, about it you and i about you know, hey, I don't know. Maybe we would keep the triplex because it's something that's like where it's located it is a prime location. That's the progress. Yeah, of course. That's like it's you're putting a chip on a table where big developers are starting to back you, right? Because you have the all these big developers are starting to redevelop that area. They're starting to buy massive amounts of land, put up you know luxury and everything like that. And what's going to end up happening is they build these luxury condos, these luxury apartments. So you have that high rent. But for everybody else that wants to live there but can't afford those high rents, that's where your investments come in. Now you're at a more competitive price point. So you get that all that traffic that they're generating renting your properties now. So... You know, these are so many opportunities that are coming down the line and you just got to start thinking more of what does this mean going forward? Not what does this mean today? You know what I mean? And and that's where you kind of got to 
just be a little smarter about how you invest. Well, I mean, it's investing, but I mean, it, it is it is educated bets and yeah. where the, your money is going to come back with others. And where's the big opportunities for the potential upside? There's more risk involved, but that's where education can offset that risk of like, where's it going to be? Yeah. Not constantly chasing the ball of like, hey, single family is hot right now. Like, oh, I, now I want to buy single family, which created this problem on the MLS as far as like housing stock. It's like, but where's that going? Like, what's that Wayne Gretzky code? Like, I don't skate to where yeah. the puck is. I go to where this puck's going. And exactly. that's why he was so good. Or it's like, you got to look at these things. You got to pay attention to this stuff of like, where is big money flowing? Because that's where the little guy can follow that big money and make... Uh, 100%. Yeah, even one of the that. developments that we were checking out, um, it's outside of San Antonio. And this is something that... A year ago, we wouldn't have even considered, but we're looking at it now because we see trends developing. We see things that are developing and we're like, that's actually a really good deal. You know, that actually makes a lot of sense. And you talk to other people and they're like, why the hell would you go out there? And it's like, because you got to look at the data. You can't be emotional. You can't just say, ah, oh, it's way the hell out there. It's a little shitty town or whatever. No, look at the numbers. Look at the data. Look at the people moving. Look at the houses being sold. Like, once you look at data, you can't have those arguments anymore. You understand? Because it, it, you're being emotional. Stop doing that. That's what keeps creating, making people get into more and more trouble is by being emotional. The same thing like when I said, you got to look at red states if you want to invest outside of the state that you're in. And people are going to get emotional about that. But it's like, I'm not saying it as an opinion. I'm telling you based on policy. You know, if blue states started doing more business-friendly policies, then look at blue states. I don't give a damn. You understand? Like, it's not about, you know, your personal feelings. That doesn't matter when it comes down to investing. So I, I saw earlier that Lori put, will either one of you be willing to run for office? We need young professional business uh, representatives. <laughs> um, I actually joked around with my wife telling her that I would run for uh, governor, but she didn't like the idea too much. Because I tend to speak my mind a little too much, apparently. And I think she's be like, a fantastic uh, politician. <laughs> she's like, we would be under constant uh, threats and constant, you know, suicide and not suicide watch, but like uh, people threatening us and everything because of our policies. But, you know, I have thought about it because I am one of those that I don't like just talking. I like doing. And I feel like if, you know, when you see all these things, like you need to get involved. But the issue is so much bigger, you know, it's these politicians are bought, they're, they're not there representing the people, they're there representing their interests and their pockets. Uh, they could give two shits about the people. What they care about is what's going to keep them elected, what's going to keep them in office, what's going to get them to that next spot, right? We have our own uh, mayor here that all he cares about is getting out of San Antonio and going to Washington, D.C. San Antonio is a great path for that. You see his policies, he could care less what happens to San Antonio. What he cares about is how can I make myself look better so I can go somewhere else? You understand? And it's sad. It, it truly is sad. But when we make the fact that the person that becomes a politician is who can raise the most money, you're already setting yourself up for failure because now it's like, well, who can be bought out more? is who becomes president yeah. or well, who becomes that Trump ran on and was like, we need to drain the swamp. We need to drain the money, uh, the dark money flowing into government for these politicians. Cause yeah, like 
they where does a politician get their money? They get their money being a politician, and politicians don't get paid all that well by the, the government, by their salaries, by oh. and stuff like that. <laughs> it's like, so they like make they, a lot of money. They make their big money from going and making a quarter million dollar 30 minute speech to Goldman Sachs. Correct. They make it in other ways that's getting paid for their speaking engagements, for showing up and doing things, book endorsements and things like that, where it's like, that's where the money needs to be stopped. Yeah. But how do you do that? I have no clue. No, I, I don't know. And I mean, it's that's why we, we do the show for you to understand what's happening, for you to understand what trends are developing and for you to make smart business decisions, right? Smart investing decisions, smart everything where you're not subject to what politicians do to what, you know, other other people are doing. You control your own fate and your own future, but you just you got to get educated. You cannot rely on, you know, hoping that things work out. So what's the next article you got going on here? Uh, well, I mean, taking it back to a, a, take it back, back to a Texas and uh, one of the one of the executive orders that was signed by uh, Mr. Biden was the 100 day moratorium on deportations. And mm. Texas almost immediately sued for that. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't just tell us we have to release all of these people. Because they, they caught an email over this last weekend that an email was sent last week to ICE officers called for stopping all removals and to release them, un, saying undocumented immigrants, all immediately. So you're just taking the state that the, covers the most of our southern border and you're saying like, hey, uh, we don't care what you want or your people or anything like that. We're just going to tell you to release everybody. And it's like... That's what are you talking about? So the federal uh, Texas immediately sued and a federal judge on Tuesday temporarily blocked President Biden's attempt to put a moratorium on deportations for 100 days. The Texas lawsuit claims that the administration would be violating agreement to have it has the Department of Homeland Security and would require at least 180 day notice as well as a consultation prior to implementing changes in immigration policy. It is unclear whether those terms are enforceable, but similar agreements were struck with several other states under the former administration. And that's going back to that thing we talk about where um, somebody from one industry is trying to govern something they know nothing about. They they have hearsay of somebody or advisors telling them about things like, oh, so we're just going to, we ran on these policies. We're just going to tell you to stop them right now. Yeah. And it's like... No, are you here? Have you walked it? Have you talked to those people? Do have you realized what the problem is? Or you're just going against the other administration because the people that voted for you just hated it, even though they were just blindly going about whatever they heard. Right. And it's like that. I, I agree with it. And it's just like, Texas is up for a fight. And it really seems like what uh, Abbott just signed with his executive order to fight all these immigration policies and to fight all of these uh, job killing energy industry jobs. It's like, they're showing they're coming back, and within the first couple of weeks, because he got inaugurated, what, the 20th, and it's the 29th? So a week and a half ago, and they're already saying it's like federal judge puts a temporary stop to his, his executive orders, and uh, Abbott's coming out and saying, like, nah, we're not playing by this world. We're not just going to bend over and just do whatever you tell us to do. We're going to fight you tooth and nail all the way. So yeah. that makes it a little prouder to be a t- that it's like, hey, no, Texas, take- and this is the the only thing Texas has fought back on. I mean, they they've I, they've been fighting back across the board on a lot of shit that you know. The state that tried to sue uh, yeah. to not certify the election. Yeah, so I mean, Texas is pushing hard, and they're they're trying to fight back because there's things like we go back to the same thing. You can't 
come up with executive orders on things that just make you look good and you don't understand the facts of, right? And without, I mean, we don't know what happens behind closed doors, but without getting in communication with the leaders of that state of saying, hey, how is this going to affect us? Does this make sense to do? And th that's kind of the issue with executive orders, right? Is that it's like, well, I'm going to put my foot down and screw whatever you want, right? And I think that's terrible, especially what I don't understand is what's the point when you have the majority in the House, in the Senate, everywhere that's like, why didn't you put it up for a vote? You understand when it's major things like that? Why isn't it up for a vote? Why are you just shoving it through? You have the house. You have everything. If it's a good deal, it should be pushed through then. Yeah. Well, because the major legislative change requires 60 votes. They don't have 60 vote control. And it is such a stark. Are you left or are you right? You're yeah. Republican or Democrats. Like, yeah, you have all of them, but you have your moderate states. Yeah. That are like, yeah, I, I am a Democrat, but I'm a very moderate Democrat. And if I start leaning too far to the left, I lose my job. I lose my paycheck yes. for that stuff. And it's like, they can't afford to lose very many people. They have a very slim majority in the House, and it's tied 50. They only have, they can lose one person in the Senate, and uh, legislation's done. So I wanted you to read this article, though, because you this is the one that you put, because I'm curious. is Republicans uh, press constitutional amendment. Uh, term limiting members of Congress, because that's kind of like what we're getting into here, like oh, limiting I, their that's something that I think in uh, it was actually Senator Ted Cruz of uh, Texas joined five other Republicans uh, this last week in moving to restrict the number of times members of Congress can be reelected. The measure would prevent senators from serving more than two six year terms and the House members from serving more than three two year terms. There's like our president can only serve two four year terms. Why mm -hmm. can our senators be there for? 40 years or like was it joe biden he was there for 49 years or 47 years or something like that and it's like a career politician yeah. like they have connections they get more intertwined they like and they're so far disconnected of what's actually going on to where like i 100 percent agree with that and they even say it's a more of a bite like a uh who was it another senator said it's no wonder that the vast majority of americans from every political stripe Republicans, Democrats, and independents overwhelmingly support congressional term limits. The rise of the political careerism in today's Congress is a sharp departure from what the founders intended for our federal governing bodies. I have long called for this solution for the brokenness of Washington, D.C., and I will continue fighting to hold career politicians accountable. I have been a long supporter of congressional term limits, which would infuse Congress with real-world experience, perspective, and sensibility. Yep. Like, Duh. Like, why is that? But the people, they're literally voting themselves saying like, hey, uh, all of us that have been here for 30 years or 20 years, something like we're voting against our own career. So it's like, and then there was a lawsuit back in 1995. It was called uh, U.S. Term Limits versus Thornton held that the only way to impose term limits on Congress would be through a rare constitutional amendment. There have only been 27 in American history. We're like, what are the chances of it happening? Probably not. It's probably not going to happen because you need to get so many votes for that. And it's the career politicians that work so hard to get up there. They're like, why would I vote my own career yeah. out of existence or my own political? Well, I think term limits are necessary, in my opinion, um, for the fact that when you have somebody that's been in politics for so long and they run up for reelection, they're almost guaranteed to get it again. 
Yeah. Right. And I think people are lazier too. They're like, uh, you know, they've been here for 30 plus years and the world hasn't fallen apart. So eh, it's easier to just vote for that person. Right. Where now if you're forcing a vote because they can no longer run again and now you have somebody new, I think it, it forces people to get a little more educated, a little bit more involved in this whole situation and actually determining like, Hey, should I vote? Does this make sense? Um, you know, should it, wh- who's going to be the better person? What are their points? What are their stands? I think term limits are necessary. I just, I don't agree with you becoming a career politician because you have, you're being influenced mm-hmm. to make decisions. You have you're, no real perspective. Like your no. perspective is advisors and you being a politician. Yeah. Or you being a lawyer or whatever it may be that uh, got you to where you're at. Yeah. That's one of the reasons Trump did win in 2016. It's like, hey, he's a businessman. He doesn't need the money. He wasn't influenced. He wasn't, he knows no favors to anybody that made him politically powerful. Yeah. And it's like, he had his own money. And that was one of the things that was successful and why he gained popularity. And, but that's also why so many people hated him is because and, he was so different. And I also believe that one of the things that I, I'm more for is that we cannot keep making elections contingent on who can raise the most money. It can't be that. You understand? It cannot be if you raise the most money, then you go to the next phase. Because now you're, you, like I said before, like to me, first of all, it's like, how does that even make any freaking sense? Like you're saying, okay, so if you can be bought out better than the next guy, then you are going to be elected. Yeah, you're going to be very unbiased when you become president. Like, that's insane. Where does that make any sense? Like, it should be based on policy and political, your actual political views and what people need to understand. And it, and everybody should have an equal platform. It cannot be that if you're running as a Republican, you're not allowed to speak on Facebook. You're not allowed to speak on any social media. You're not allowed to speak on the majority of the media channels. So you're essentially saying the rest of the public cannot hear your thoughts because you're a Republican, right? Or because maybe your views don't go with the views of the media or vice versa, right? Or if you're a Democrat and then you have other platforms that you're not allowed to be speaking on. That's, you know, where is this whole, like, let's make the best decision for the country when it's like, no, let's make the best decision for the country. Here's the decision you need to make. Go. It's like, well, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how's that work again? Yeah. And that's where it seems like we are. It's like, you should make the best decision as long as it's the decision we agree on. You know, and I, I really, and I'm sorry if you guys don't like the politics and I'm sorry we this got very political, but we go back to the same thing. Politics drives policies, which drive the markets of where you invest, the real estate of your buying, everything ties together this is not one thing that you're speaking politics because you want you know to create uh, controversy um see don't people say that controversy no i know but don't people say controversy no no that's just you maybe me um that's just you and that's just me okay the english language whatever um but it depends how you interpret all those things it's you got to understand it. You got to understand the policies. You got to understand what people are doing, what they're pushing for, because it's going to, especially if you invest in real estate in the long term and you do a lot of those things, you got to know if you're doing a, a long term lease, a two, three year lease, and there's a high chance of 
maybe having high inflation or anything like that, you don't want to lock yourself on a cash flow that may not be worth much two years from now, three years from now. So you might be looking at it right now. It's like, oh, it's a two-year lease. Hell yeah, I'll, I'll agree to this. But if it goes up, now you're losing money. Inflation is killing your returns. You understand? Like You need to understand what are the policies that are coming? What are the things that are happening? Does it make sense as you make long-term decisions? So... If you don't, do you have any other thing you want uh, to talk about? I really about? don't. Some of these other ones we can save for, uh, for yeah. the times that fits better into the. And w- with that being said, uh, Tuesday, we are bringing back, which now I'm starting to think, isn't Tuesday um, ah, State of the Union address? I have no idea. I'm curious. I've never followed Because that. we are bringing back tips from the pros and we're bringing on a local pro tommy ray that he's going to be talking about snug living and and as you've seen here with a lot of his recommendations this is a guy that he looks at problems and sees opportunities so we wanted to bring him on to show people that things aren't as dark as you may think there's a lot of opportunities in the market there's a lot of great ways of doing this um so we're going to be interviewing him for tips for the pros our first uh episode for season two so if you haven't already make sure you hit that bell to be notified when we're about to go live and i'm actually going to confirm now because i think if we have the state of the union you know i I, we're going to be around the same time i don't really want to you know i don't know i i want to i do want to see the state of the union because record it you know I don't know. So we'll, we'll, it might be this Tuesday. If not, I might just push it a day and do it Wednesday just to make it, you know, better for everybody. Just told me, but let me know, check it out. Um, check it, uh, put your, on your calendars that tips from the pros coming back, share it with people, show the love. Um, and with that being said, I hope you guys are enjoying the show. I hope you guys are enjoying all the information we're bringing out to you. If you guys have any article recommendations, feel free to send them to us. Uh, we are not going to cover like just pointless hate speech and stuff like that. We want to cover things that matter to your business and your investing. Business economics and yeah, because I had somebody send me one that was just very angry article, and I was like, that doesn't do anything but just it's just angry. <laughs> I appreciate the love, but it's just kind of angry. Um, so you know, if you guys want to share any great articles that you come across and that you want to make sure that we cover, just share it with us. We greatly appreciate it. And yeah, with that being said, I mean, that's, that's the show for today. I hope you guys have an amazing weekend and keep up the great work with whatever it is that you're doing. And we will catch you all next week. Bye-bye.